Welcome to the Preserving Family podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, everyone, we are so glad that you're with us today uh, to help us to strengthen and preserve families. And we're excited about the topic. I know we always say that, but every time we stumble on another topic, we think this is going to be really fun. (laughs) We do. This is a topic that we really feel passionately about. And it's a topic that we feel like, if really implemented, would actually change families. We really do. Yeah. (laughs) And it's something that we probably all are already doing, or most people are doing at least once in a while, maybe not consistently, but maybe there's some people that aren't doing it. But what we're going to talk about today is the importance of family mealtime. Oh, you you held, you made everyone keep saying suspense <laughs> for a long time. Okay. Well, no, family meals are so important. I think we can look back on our own childhood growing up in the, what, 70s and part 80s. of the 80s maybe. And, and recognizing that that was a really big part of our, both of our family's culture, right? There were consistent meals and... That was the time that the family gathered and talked and connected. and Yeah, and as you look back, I was just thinking about old TV shows like the Andy Griffith Show, Leave it to Beaver, you know, old movies where people, families just were centered around the kitchen table talking, and that's where a lot of the plot of the TV shows happened. And today, in our day and age, we are so busy. We have so much distraction, and I honestly feel like it's from the adversary, from Satan, that Tearing One of those great apart. tools, right? Yeah, yeah, that we don't have time to sit down and gather as families every night and get off the merry-go-round, stop everything that we're doing and connect as a family because we are constantly running from one practice to another, running kids from here to there, running to ball games, choir concerts, work, you know, whatever is going on with each individual member of the family that we are just torn apart. And there's nights, I mean, I remember having eight children where, I mean, the last kid didn't even get home till midnight some nights, you know. And we were both driving in different directions like so many people do today. And, and you right. were covering one one crew and I was covering the other. And So we get it. I mean, we get how hard that is. But I think we have to make an effort. And, and we, we were talking a minute ago about maybe dinner time isn't the meal. Maybe it's breakfast time that we meet together as a family and connect. <laughs> but right. whatever time, whatever it is, family meal time is really important. And if and as we talk about this topic for a few minutes tonight, I hope that you're going to realize all the benefits and blessings that come from family meal time. Well, I know just yeah, on a base level, when you think that even back in your own families, if anyone's listening and remembers those meals growing up, it was certainly a time of connection. It could have been a time of fun. It was a time to talk about the day, but it was also a time where values were passed down, where conversations were, were had. And, you know, we're going to get into some of the other benefits, but just at the most, once again, foundational level, we can't throw that out. I mean, we can't be willing to give that up. Right. Because then I think when, when are we as families doing that? If we don't have mealtimes now, when are we doing that? When is the whole family sitting down and connecting? I mean, hopefully we're having scripture study or come follow me or family home evening or other opportunities. But on a day-to-day level, when are we connecting if we aren't sitting at the dinner table or the breakfast table or the lunch table or something? 
Right, exactly. Let's lay some doctrinal foundation uh, foundation here just for a minute. You know, in the family proclamation, when it says that parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness and provide for their physical and spiritual needs, and then by divine design, fathers are to preside over their families in love and righteousness and are responsible to provide the necessities of life and protection for their families, and mothers are responsible for nurturing. You know, family mealtime is an excellent setting for parents to fulfill those responsibilities. But another way to look at it is to think about the the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, and to think of how much, even in the Jewish tradition, that food centered around every major event. I mean, you have the Passover, you have the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm sure many other events, I'm not a Jewish scholar, but every one of those events seem to be surrounded by food. In fact, it's amazing in the Savior's life, if you really study it, how often meals surrounded, or food, you know, surrounded what he did. Right. And as you and I were kind of trying to figure out a story of the Savior's life, because we always like to use him as (laughs) our ultimate example of how important mealtime is, we are shocked how many stories we came up with of him with other people partaking of food. Um, Let's start with the feeding of the 5,000. And right. he, he did that a couple times. Um, visiting Mary and Martha as they were scrambling around, as Martha was scrambling <laughs> around, right, trying to prepare food, and Mary was sitting at his feet, and they were getting preparing for a meal. Right. I... Him um, getting invited to partake of food with Zac- or Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus, however you want to say it. Right. Um, and being called a sinner because he was going to eat with this person. <laughs> or, or just, yeah, eating with publicans and sinners. I mean, that's one he of the things he was accused of that all the time. He was accused of, yeah. But I, I think of him, he was probably building relationships with them. He was teaching them. They were sitting at his feet while they were partaking of food. The Last Supper, I mean, how wonderful is that? That the very last act he did with his disciples is he fed them while he taught them and expressed his love and explained what was going to happen. It's kind of along those lines of how we always talk about making special things special. Obviously, he knew how much more significant that event was going to be than they did. But yeah, there was it was centered around food. Then we even came up with the the story. Not we came up with. We remember (laughs) the story of him walking the road, the road on the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus, talking, and then ended up eating with them. Right. And we just we could we just kept thinking of story after story. Where Christ sat and ate with people. And well, no, think of the, there's even two more that I'm thinking of now. Like uh, the resurrection, right? Luke 24. They're going to eat fish and honeycomb. He's mm-hmm. resurrected. Mm-hmm. When he meets with Peter and the apostles in John chapter 21, it's they're fishing. And they come onto the shore and eat those fish. And he talks and teaches. It's just... Wow, we didn't get that far, <laughs> but wow. But, you know, it just, it just goes... It's hand in hand, right? It's like... Food and connection, food and relationship, food and influence. Conversation, relationship building. We just thought that was such a an, cool and important um, part of Christ's life. Yeah, yeah, that he, not outrightly, and we don't talk about it much, but as we got thinking about it, how important that was for him. And if that was important to him and his relationship with friends and people that he taught, look how important that should be for us and our families as to gather right. around food, to talk and to share and to converse and to share values and all those things. So, right. yeah, I thought that was a great example from the Savior. So let's just talk for a minute on some of the research that's that's uh, 
been documented and shared about family mealtime for a minute. You know, years ago in New England, there was a study done where they asked families, really they asked parents, how often do you eat with your family? And it was quite astounding results. The researchers were puzzled because people were reporting that they were eating with their family the majority of the time, like 80 to 90% of the week were spent with meals with the family. So the researchers thought that can't be true. So let's do this. Let's put a hidden camera in the kitchens of all these homes and let's see what really is going on. So families agreed to it, not all of them, but some agreed to having a camera in their kitchen. And after the novelty of that wore off, what the researchers found was also astounding, which was that actually families were hardly ever eating together. That maybe if it was once a week, that was that was something to brag about, right? And so we know that there's been this decline in family mealtime. In fact, I'll share just a little bit of research with you from the Harvard Graduate School. In fact, Anne Fischel, who's done a lot of work on uh, her studies called the Family Dinner Project, despite family mealtimes being hugely beneficial to kids, about 30%, only about 30% of families today, that's her estimate, are actually eating together. In another poll by the New York Times, it says in the United States, about 70% of meals now are consumed outside of the home. About 20% are eaten in the car. You believe that, Janie? Yeah, I do. <laughs> in there. <laughs> right. And then about half of American families rarely have family dinner, according to this family dinner project. Fewer meals together. How about this? In the past 20 years, the frequency of family dinners has declined 33%. And then in another poll found that 62% of parents with children under 18 actually said, we wish we would have had dinner more often together. Another statistic kind of moving from that is talking about the family budget. In mm. 1970, Americans spent 26% of their, of their food budget on eating out. Mm. And in in 2010, the number had risen to 41 percent of your of your food budget on out to eat. <laughs> so I can't even imagine what it is today in, in 2023. 2023, as we be zip through, that. you know, how many times do we just zip through the drive-in, the drive-through window to grab our kids some dinner on the way to practice or in between rehearsals or whatever? Well, it's not u- unusual to look into someone's car that you know and see bags of of uh, happy meal wrappers and you just know that it's almost like a trail right. from Hansel and Gretel right 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 to McDonald's but sadly with that the rates of obe- obesity in the United States have more than doubled oh, wow. and it's got to be you know parallel to that <laughs> to that study it has to be a correlation there right oh. according to a recent study Americans now spend a higher percentage on their food budget on restaurants than they do on groceries We definitely have changed a lot in our busy, busy culture, that's for sure. So now let's talk about what research is telling us about how crucial that family mealtime is to all these different areas. One of them is surprisingly, maybe to some, but academics, you know, that that children who eat dinner or who eat meals with their families, with their parents, just do so much better in an academic way. In fact, at one study at, uh, at Columbia University showed that, that children who eat with their family fewer than, fewer than three times a week are more than twice as likely to receive C's or worse on their report cards. And then kids who ate dinner with their family five or more times a week fared much better and were more likely to receive A's and B's. 
How about this? Mealtimes offer unique opportunities for children to learn as they have a greater likelihood of hearing conversations. So here these children are conversing with their parents, which is so helpful to their academic life. In fact, one study said that children are expanding their vocabularies as they hear new words used in conversations. And there's this great connection between children's language experience during their preschool years and future literacy skills in grade school and high school. So once again, just academically, there's a great benefit to eating together as a family. Another great benefit and blessing of family mealtime is that it actually bonds and improves relationships in the family. So one study concluded that teenagers who eat dinner with their family regularly are more likely to say that they have a good relationship with their mom and dad and siblings compared to teens who rarely eat dinner with their family feel like they don't have a good relationship with their parents and siblings. And 71 of teenagers in one survey said that they consider talking and catching up and spending time with family members the best part of their day and the best part of their dinner, their dinner time. And so when we think, oh, our teens, they they wouldn't come down to dinner or they just want us to bring their dinner up or they just (laughs) want to grab something and go eat in their room. No, we can turn that around and we can get them to come to family dinner. (laughs) It's been proven that at family mealtime that we talk more than we do during any other activity during the day. Then that includes playtime, story time, anything. We Mm -hmm. talk more at the dinner table. And so, so many discussions happen around the dinner table. We talk about world events, what's going on in the world, in our own individual lives. And we talk about our dreams, our plans, maybe family activities, family trips that are coming up. And so it's it's a great time to talk to each other, to coordinate, to brainstorm, to problem solve. And all those blessings happen around the kitchen table while we're eating. It is. I just think back on our own family dinners. I think, yeah, that was a great time to, we were definitely coordinating, right? We were definitely planning. And there was some dreaming too that went on every so often, right? Okay, here's another benefit. But families who eat dinner together or meals together uh, improve nutrition and decreased obesity. In fact, there's some great statistics here. Children are 24% more likely to eat healthier foods when they're eating with their families. In fact, preschool children have improved intake of fruits and vegetables when they participate in family meals. And children are 12% less likely to be obese just by having meals with their family. So certainly there's an effect there, right? And once again, the benefits aren't just for children. The benefits are for adolescents as well. In fact, adolescent females from homes where the family regularly ate meals together, more than five meals per week, had a much lower likelihood of disordered eating. Teens who ate with the family, same thing as children, more vegetables and fruits. They just ate healthier. Uh, But also they had a, a stronger, more positive body image when they ate meals with their family. And then, I love this study, but 10 years later when they were measuring uh, adolescents who ate meals with their family, 10 years later found that they were less likely to be overweight. You know, one other thing that I love is we, we read a study that said as we expose children in the home to different kinds of food and different things, it's not just frozen burritos, Costco pizza, you know, chicken nuggets. Corn dogs. <laughs> all the things that kids like that maybe they're just grabbing as they go. That as they try new things, that their um, their knowledge improves, their social skills improve, their ability to try new things and not be afraid of new things 
which totally correlated to being able to try new new foods, new experiences in the home, which right. I thought was really interesting. Right. Oh, I love that. Another great blessing is that we can teach our children manners. When else are we mm. going to do that if we're not doing <laughs> that at the dinner table? I remember growing up and we were always taught how to set a proper table, how to put our napkins in our lap, <laughs> you know, not talking with food in our mouth, not blowing food chunks, you know, whatever it is that we're doing at the table. We were taught that over and over and over how to, you know, be mannerly and fit into society at a dinner, <laughs> at a dinner experience. Right. What, what, which, uh, what side the knife goes on and what side the second, second knife or the fork. And right. I still remember being taught that, no, you cannot eat one thing at a time. You have to eat a little bit from everywhere. I don't know if that's legal or not. Is that legal? <laughs> oh, funny the things that our parents taught us, but where else are we going to teach etiquette and manners if not at the dinner table? Exactly. All right, we hope we're not boring you with all this research, but it is pretty incredible when you think about it. Those who eat regularly as families together, those teenagers are less likely to do drugs, more specifically, less likely to engage it with in alcohol use, nicotine use, marijuana use, prescription drug use. In fact, there is an overall protective effect where adolescents who have dinner with their families are less likely to increase in high-risk behaviors. That would be drugs. That would be premarital sex. Anything along those lines, any deviant behavior, they're just less likely to engage in anything that's real harmful to them. There are also incredible protective factors or a protective effect when it comes to mental and emotional health. In fact, those teens who eat dinner with their families are less likely to experience depression, less likely to have suicidal thoughts or behaviors, and less likely to have anxiety. So there's just an overall sense of well-being when these youth are eating together with their families. So one last thing that we're going to identify, which I think is huge in this day and age, right. is that families who have regular family meals, the, the children and the teens have a better sense of identity, a better sense of self-worth, confidence that they belong. And if I could recommend a book to anyone that's called The Art of Gathering, it's awesome. And she talks in there about how important it is to gather and to gather our family but she says the main purpose of gathering is to create a sense of belonging. And, and again, what better way than at mealtime that the whole family can gather together, that we can gather as a family and talk about family things, that they can feel like they belong to a group, that we... They connect. I mean, they connect, they nurture each other, they heal each other and bless each other. In other words, it's this idea of making special things special. We're not just eating to eat. We're not eating to check the box, but there's purpose and intentionality, right, in what we're doing. Right. It creates that connection between family members, between each family member, right. you know, not just as a family member at whole, but to siblings, to parents. And again, I think that's just such a great blessing that comes out of having regular family meals is that connection. I do too. And I think we need to talk about, too, is that it's not about the food. We could be having <laughs> mac and cheese, right? We could be eating steak and lobster. It doesn't matter what we're eating. We can have the simplest meal or grandiose meal. It's about gathering. It's about sharing. It's about conversation, love, and bonding that happens over the meal. And you know what? Over time, we continue to hear these stories from different people. 
And it's this idea that our children won't join us for dinner or they're not going to come to the dinner table or breakfast table or whatever. And we actually have parents carrying up plates of food to their children's room and sliding it under the door like we're at the zoo or something, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck, right? We've got to... We've got to Turn we've got that to... ship around. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's when you know the monkeys are running the zoo, so to speak. You know, I mean, I think there's great purpose in eating together and being together. Now, I'm sure there are some exceptions, right? I'm sure there's there are extreme examples when someone's just in a really difficult mental state and you have to do something like that to keep peace in the family. But... Overall, I think we should insist on being together. And I think another important thing is to, you know, turn off our phones. Put the leave the phones outside of the kitchen. No phones allowed. No phones allowed. This is family time. This is special time. Even if something important, you know, phones are buzzing, we leave it aside until the dinner is over. So years ago, I had the privilege of back then we called it visiting teaching ministering to a woman who had 11 children. And I think she even had a couple more after we moved, but she was an amazing mom and they had an amazing family, but her whole premises in life was we are going to have dinner together every night as a family. And she's, she kept telling me, I don't care if it's at 1130 at night, we wait till the last person comes home and we have dinner. And I was like, wait, what? You don't have dinner till... (laughs) 1130 at night? And she said, no, like we, they have, you know, obviously they had teenagers all the way down to new babies. And she said, we, if I have to, I will put my babies down. But then when everyone gets home at 1130, I get everyone up and we have dinner because she felt so strong and passionate about family dinner. And she really taught me a great lesson. And I really thought about, and I obviously I've thought about that for years because of her passion for it. But she said, sorry, I'm not going to give that up. That's our only time we can ever connect. That's the whole only time our family sees each other because we have, you know, just like every other family, they had kids going in, 11 kids going in 11 different directions and the two parents. So 13 people and all their schedules and everything. But that was such precious time to her that she was not willing to give it up. And I was in awe (laughs) back then that she would make that kind of sacrifice to get all of her little children and babies back up at whenever the last child came home. Well, I remember, Jane. Yeah, I was, and I remember that we had to go over there one night for something to drop something off. It was 10 o'clock at night and they were all gathered around the table eating. Yeah. And I think that kind of may have triggered that conversation a little bit. This reminds me, that family was so awesome, and they remind me of something that Julie Beck said when she was the Church's Relief Society president years ago. She said, though we were a busy family, I considered everyone's presence at dinner time non-negotiable. It was our most consistent gathering time, and everyone planned to eat together before going to other activities. And then she said that dinner in our home was not just an eating ritual, but a special time for the family to communicate and to share our thoughts and our stories of the day. We often sat together for over an hour as we savored the conversation as much as the food. I just think, what a great what a great example there. Yeah, it really is. So let's just talk for a few minutes on some ideas on how to make family mealtime more valuable, more salient, more powerful, more effective. But when I think of that, I just always go back to a story that I remember hearing. It was on the life of President Hinckley, President Gordon B. Hinckley. It was... You know, one of those videos they would make when a when a new prophet is called. And, and the story that I remember is that he would come home from work and he, they'd be at the dinner table as a family and he would tell stories. 
and he would tell jokes. And his kids would just laugh as they're telling this story because they're saying that their dad would laugh so hard that he sometimes couldn't breathe, you know, or his, or his stomach would shake or whatever. And I just thought, what a great memory for kids being at the dinner table with their dad, knowing that he was going to tell these stories and they were all just going to laugh together. <laughs> I remember my dad doing the same thing, that his belly would get jiggling <laughs> and if he ate anything spicy, his bald head would sweat and he was always patting his sweat off. With, with <laughs> napkins. I remember that. And we had a standing joke. Whoever sat next to dad was always going to gain weight because anytime you weren't looking, he would put more food on your plate, you know. And right. <laughs> I remember that. And it's just a fun bonding time. Mem- lots of memories are made in families at dinner tables. So I like something you said, Jane, a little while ago, you know, is the idea that this should be a positive experience, right? That this isn't a time to... Yeah, this isn't a time to ream our kids out or, you know, <laughs> scream and yell or your discipline for... Unless, you know, obviously if they're doing something naughty Some at the table. Some kind of crisis, but... But this is a time to try to have pleasant times, fun times. Making good memories. Yeah, and good conversation. Another thing that we can do as families is make it an event. Like, all hands on deck. We could have family members learning and helping set the table getting water glasses, preparing, putting food on the table, preparing food. And then when it's over, our kids need to learn how to clean it up, to clear their plates, to sweep up, to put leftovers away. And again, they're all learning skills and all learning, you know, all the manners and everything that we are trying to teach them. So and working together as a family is a huge bonding experience. And I like what you said earlier about just no no electronic devices. We don't need iPads. You know, we don't need our phones at the table. I still Their remember switches or Game Boys or <laughs> whatever they do these days. Right. I still remember. You know, being with the being, going out to eat with our family a few years ago, and there was another family at a table. Everyone, the mother, the father, and they had three kids. If I remember, all had a phone, and they literally did not look up. They didn't even look at each other the entire meal. They just played on their phones, all of them the whole time. And I'm afraid that that probably is more common than we think, you know? I mean, I'd like to hope that not everyone does that, but I'm sure that there are so many families that are just so inundated with their electronics that that's what they do. Now, if there's families out there that maybe have a hard time conversing, maybe you're not used to family dinners, maybe you're like, well, what would we even talk about? There are so many great ideas out there that, I mean, you could literally just get on Pinterest or Google family conversation starters or... At dinner time, Dinner time. And there's so many, we could have, I've heard of families having a jar in the middle of the table with questions, with strips of paper that we pull one and talk about it that day. Um, I know some of our kids, one of our oldest daughter, Brittany, and her husband, Tyler, at their dinner time every day, they'll t- they do a high-low. So they go around so that every child gets to talk, and they say their high of the day and their low of the day. And I think it's great because on their highs, the whole family can celebrate with them and or laugh with them and be like, great, good, great job. But on their low... The family can also commiserate and, you know, and give sympathy and empathy. And we kind of, it's a kind of a, an insight into what our children are going through at school or wherever that day. So I love the high low. It gives the parents a great barometer, doesn't it? Just to know what's going on in their children's lives. Right. A little shout out to our friend, Susan Christensen. She has a website called characteratdinner.com. And she's got great stories that you could download for free that teach values and morals that you can read while you're at dinner. And it has little prompt questions that you could talk about. There's just all kinds of things out there that, you know, just would help benefit families and teach values. 
And the greatest thing we can do is that you talk about the gospel. Let's, you know, if, if that's your only moment in time to get Come Follow Me in or a quick thought or a Book of Mormon scripture, whatever you can do to talk about the gospel, to teach an example, or when maybe when they're doing their high-low, you can talk about, oh, the Savior experienced that same thing or a scripture hero, you know, somebody in the scriptures kind of experienced that and tie the scriptures in. But there's so much you can talk about. Oh, I mean, you could talk about gratitude. You could talk about... You know, what, what's, what's the funniest thing that happened today to you? You know, another thought, though, as you share these, Janie, is listening. You know, because I, I think back on ours, on those dinners when we had all of our children at home, and I don't remember, I, mean, I know there were a lot of times that we did have questions for them and we were having discussions, but I remember there was also a lot of listening. You learn a lot when they talk, <laughs> you know, when your kids are talking or even talking to each other. And you pick up and hear. Yeah, oh. just listening to them talk to each other, you learn you learn a lot. And I, I still remember that it was a dinner time conversation when one of our daughters said, "You know what? I don't, I don't think I know what it means to feel the spirit in my life." And we had a great dis- discussion about that. But it was at the family dinner table where it was it was, I don't want to say tradition, but it was part of the culture in the family to be able to ask questions and to talk and and for us to listen. And I love, we raised our children in the mission field, and I loved that almost every day they had an experience with a non-member either asking them questions, making fun of them, you know, um, putting them on the spot, asking, you know, what Mormons believe. And we got to have incredible conversations every day about, oh, how did you respond? What could you have said better? What you did, you did so great, you know, and we could talk about what it is, the, the doctrine or whatever, and why we believe the way that we do. And I think, again, what we talked about at the very beginning is family meals are one of the greatest things that families can do to bond, to almost right the ship, to turn the ship around. If you need to do that, yeah. And we just feel really passionate about that. If you want to change your family, make sure that you have really regular family meals. Well, I think we can go right to the core of this podcast and say one of the greatest ways to preserve and strengthen a family is to be eating together and talking and conversing and connecting. In fact, I'm just saying, look at all the research that supports it, you know, and again, it's, we don't know exactly why, but I think it's just the connectedness, the bonding, the being identified, the belonging that causes so many positive outcomes in so many areas of our teens' life and our children's life and even adult lives. Right. I love that. And here's here's Elder Oaks. He says, There is inspired wisdom in this advice to parents. What your children really want for dinner is you. Mm, so, I love that. <laughs> so, if, yeah, we for each other. I mean, we need we need this, right, for all of us, parents and children. So as we conclude this podcast, we don't want anyone to feel guilty or overwhelmed. Again, we can be eating the simplest food, right. but just gather. And we don't have to gather for an hour and a half. We could gather for a half an hour. We could gather for 10 minutes. Sure. So we've been there. We know how hard this is to grab all your family members together at one time. And it may not it happen would... every night. I mean, it may not. I mean, right? It just may not. I know I'm just looking back on our day with with, with eight children and five teenagers at once with each one involved in some kind of major activity. Yeah. And I know sometimes we'd have dinner at four 30 in the afternoon before everyone left. So <laughs> right. do your best, whatever you can do. And which leads us into LDS. Let's do something. So wherever you are on the scale, if you're not having family dinners at all, 
try to start having family dinners. Even if you start once a week and then improve to twice a week, to three times a week, to four times a week. But if you're having mostly regular dinners, maybe you can improve. Maybe you can find extra time or make a plan to try to be better. But if you're doing great, maybe you could have better conversation. Wherever you are, just take it a step up and let's do something better to improve our families and preserve our families. Right, exactly. It's so, all we can all do, right, is be try to be a little better every just, day. Just improve <laughs> a little bit more, right? But hopefully this has been helpful too to help uh, people understand the significance, not just spiritually as we follow the life of Christ, but academically as we look at that research, it's pretty powerful and potent of what mealtimes can do to bless the lives of families. If you're interested in some conversation starters at the dinner table, email us at preservingfamilies at gmail.com. We have a few ideas that we can share with you. We also remind you of the other podcast that we do called Stand By My Servants. The episode this week is on the life of Dallin H. Oaks. So tune into that if you get a chance. And until then, we hope to see you next time. Thanks for being with us.